are the content rebels. We've got zero time for busy work that masquerades as marketing, and we're done with losing the impact of our big message just to satisfy some SEO or social media algorithm rules. This is a show about marketing for established soloish entrepreneurs who want to build real relationships with clients online. Join me each week as we make your content work for you. Hey, hey, friends. Today, we are going to be talking all about storytelling. We are in for a treat. We have Jay Akunzo on the podcast today, and we're going to be talking about how storytelling is what's going to separate your content from the masses. It's going to make you irreplaceable, and it's going to help your people understand whatever it is that you're selling and serving and offering so much better. Jay Akunzo is the founder of Creator Kitchen, a membership program helping professional creators and marketers push themselves creatively. After working in marketing roles for brands like ESPN, Google, HubSpot, Jay is an author, speaker, and the host of the award-winning podcast, Unthinkable, where creative people take us inside unconventional choices they made to break from best practices and all the refreshing things that they've created as a result. With that, let's hop right on into the interview. All right, Jay, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Thanks so much for having me, Brittany. Obviously, our listeners are not going to be seeing this, but you just picked up a mug that literally said Jay on it. So if I had forgotten your name, we'd be good there. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a friend's wedding and he gave these awesome Yeti giant mugs, which come in handy when you're like toddlers at home and you're always sick and you need to chug water constantly because you podcast a lot. It's it's very nice to have this. Yeah. Although I should maybe cover this up because everyone who sees it is going to be like, why do you have a giant mug with your own name on it, man? I mean, you know, we all forget things sometimes, right? (laughs) With that, we can move into the actual topic at hand, which is storytelling. So I'm just kind of open to hearing what you would like to share on storytelling. I've been in Creator Kitchen for a few months now, and we just completed uh, the storytelling menu, which has been fantastic. It's been, I won't say eye-opening for me, more like just clarifying little bits, you know, those little glimmers of ideas and I just, I hope that we can share with the audience some of what I've gleaned from from these last couple of months hanging out in the kitchen. For sure. I think, so we do these menus. So the Creator Kitchen is my membership, which you're a part of. Thank you, Brittany. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're focused on helping people become incredible storytellers to help their careers and however they use it, whether you're an in-house employee, independent and a small business owner like like you and I are, or something else. I just think everywhere we show up as a storyteller, we serve others better. And so we we are better served too. And so, but I think a lot of people have this perception when you hear storyteller of like, well, you have to do what Jay does. You have to host a podcast and give speeches and like have a public platform. And, or there's maybe this like certain, like grandiose feeling to it, you know, to tell stories and I have to have something groundbreaking or notable in the newsworthy sense. And a soundbite that you've heard me say several times to members is like, it's noteworthy in that you noted it. Like something caught your eye and you're like, huh, that felt different. You know, maybe you keep chickens. That's your example, Brittany. And like, maybe you like the New York Knicks. That's maybe an example of mine. Or I like to cook with my my four-year-old daughter. I walk the dog out here uh, in my town outside of Boston. We're all experiencing moments that are either areas of passion or mundane routine things. They don't have to be like, I did a groundbreaking thing and I'm telling, quote unquote, my story. It's just that as you move through the world, that can all be material for metaphors, for analogies, for allegories you know which is just basically a story version of a metaphor but you have material around you it's just that i think we pull back 
from using it because either A, we think it has to be some you know grandiose thing I experienced or B, we think, and this is a much more than common question on our minds, well, why would they care? Why would they care about the thing I observed? Why would they care about my hobby? Because they're marketers trying to do X, Y, or Z. So let me just show up and once again, start addressing something with flat instruction instead of story, which is very inspiring and moving and gripping and sparks action far better. So that was the big mission for a time within, well, it's really the overarching mission, I'd say, of the membership. But within the last eight weeks, we focused on personal storytelling as a, as a unit, which we, which as you know, we call menus. You know, one of the things that I think I came into this with was already the idea that I can draw from my my regular life. I've never shied away from being like, hey, I was gardening and then this thing happened. And that's so very much similar to this other thing that I was talking about. And I feel like I've always done a pretty good job of that. And and I've really incorporated that into like the emails I send my list. And um, I've actually done a whole workshop on how to use short, easy stories to introduce an idea and emails for another private community. And that part to me was always easy. It's It was more the, for me at least, the fear of using the same kind of story too often. And in my words, boring my audience with something that was not interesting to them. And obviously you already mentioned my chickens, right? Like, yeah, because yeah. I hang out with my chickens quite a bit. Like right. there's a lot of lessons there. Totally. And, and I mean, is that a common thing? Do a lot of people have that same kind of fear moving into personal storytelling? Well, first of all, when you say say it that way, I think that's really telling moving into it. I always talk about like you have to step out over the cliff out onto this wire without a safety net. Like no one is going to be interviewing you someday on a podcast and they go, Brittany, can you tell me like how should marketers be thinking about AI? And before you answer, can you please answer in personal story? Like no one is going to say that. You just have to decide to show up with the posture of a storyteller. And so we talk a lot about in the kitchen and elsewhere in my work, talking about, yes, there's a process. And of course you have to practice and you need a practice, like this podcast arguably is yours. But we also have this thing called posture. We need to master that. It's the way you see yourself in the world. So seeing yourself as a storyteller, pursuing some kind of change, stepping out over the edge onto that little thin wire without a safety net is a big part of this. So I'm glad you said that. One of the things that causes us, I think, to retreat back to what we perceive to be sturdier ground is, well, the thing that's coming to mind for me is whatever. I have kids. So I'm just going to pull constantly from having kids. And what if people get sick of that? What if I'm like, what if I'm, what if I become known as some weird little self-made niche of like, Jay's the storyteller with kids. Like, I, I don't want that, right? You, Brittany's the freelancer with chickens. Like, we don't necessarily want that. And I think the only way that we end up that way is if we shut off our curiosity. Frankly, like, that's really the crux of all of this, which is if you are spending a lot of time with your chickens and you're observing a lot of stuff, what you just said was true. You're finding a lot of lessons for your audience of marketers. But that's not like you carry that same mentality with you everywhere you go. So apply it everywhere you go. And I'm talking like in for people listening, like the mundane moments can matter too. Like you you have this mug you realize you never looked critically at and someday you did. And that sparked this random idea. Like everywhere we go, there is material. And so as long as you're curious, and I think there's like two things, one on the front end of your curiosity and one on the back end. But the curiosity really drives you finding every moment, every idea, everything you consume or experience as material. So that the two things that could help, the thing on the front end is 
what's your premise? Like, what are you exploring that is specific and defensible? What's the personal vision you have for your audience? And so, for example, like the premise I'm exploring overall is I think we should prioritize resonance over reach. How do we do that? Well, I think we should be an effective storyteller. What does that mean? There's all these questions that come out when you're like, I want to own the idea of resonance in the world of creators and marketers. And I want to pursue that with curiosity. Um, now, all of a sudden, everything I do, everywhere I go, I'm sort of like vaguely thinking about that idea because you don't shut off your brain. You don't shut off your creativity. And so having a very potent premise that takes a while to articulate and find, but knowing it, you might call it a personal mission, is like coloring the glasses you're wearing. So you always see the world through that lens, meaning everything is going to look like potential material where you can quickly vet it as such. So that's on the front end of your curiosity. And then on the back end is just a place to put it. You know, an, an app that syncs neatly to your phone and your computer, just an easy way to store all these things so that even though you spent 80% of your free time with your chickens, the 20%, 5%, 2% that you spend away from it is still yielding ideas that you can log. So I think if you have those three things, if you have a premise through which you see the world and press all your work, which is supposed to serve the audience, of course, and then curiosity everywhere you go, which if you're creative, I think you do. You're sensitive to the world. You ask questions. You wonder. It hits you. You go, huh? And then you have a place to store all these things. Now, when you go to create stuff, you can make the decision, which I know you do, Brittany, which is like, I've written about my chicken several times as metaphors in the last like three weeks. Maybe I'll pick a different idea, but you're set up to do so more easily. Well, like, I like what you said. I mean, I have my own way of storing like ideas and, you know, comparisons that I've noted in my everyday life. Yeah. I used to do a lot more than I do now. I don't store nearly as many these days because I found that I don't actually need to Trello board certain things. They just kind of pop back up. Other things though, like they're that, that tenuous idea you have, you know, right as you're falling asleep or waking up, you're like, if I don't grab my phone and write this down right now, it is yeah. not going to stay around, right? So there is that. There is like that that kind of practice of like storing the ideas that you have. But so many of my really good ones, they just kind of spark during conversation or during other things. Uh, even like, you know, earlier you were you know talking about how you cook with your four-year-old daughter. And I was like, just this weekend doing the same thing with my five-year-old son. We were making this like Japanese, oh goodness, I'm going to butcher it, kohakuru candy. It's like a sugar crusted gummy on the inside and he's so annoyed because it takes several days for it to actually develop that crust talking about patience I could insert that story anywhere you know what I mean like and, and it's not the kind of thing I'm going to forget the minute I'm thinking oh I need to talk about like the wait and see approach I need to talk about you know like it'll pop back into my head because it's probably the most notable thing that people would resonate with that I've experienced lately but when it comes to like bigger ideas kind of more overarching storytelling ideas do you have any ways of not managing but just kind of like forming those kind of thematic stories that you insert yeah i think there's there's a bunch of categories of stories that as an author like for three straight years my job was basically like to give speeches and work on and or promote the book that's very privileged to say and most people don't have that privilege or want to pursue it in the first place. They like building their business, whatever it is. And I also had great mentors helping me. But for three years, I was basically like developing a bag of stories that I could carry with me everywhere 
And then they made their way into the book and the speeches, et cetera. And what I found was, oh, okay, everywhere, like listening to podcasts is an easy example. Everywhere our favorite authors show up, they tend to grip you with these stories, right? And the really great ones are not just saying the same words over and over again. Even if it's a similar story, they're molding it to fit the audience, fit the moment, fit the lesson. So, But they have a short bag to play with. They don't have infinite stories. And so those are consciously developed. And so for, for a time, I was like, well, what if that's how we all operated? Because we're all showing up publicly now. We're all little mini, mini media companies acting more like authors or we should. And I think we're stuck acting like bloggers too much, meaning, no disrespect, I've been a blogger since 2005, but meaning I have like a general topic that I cover. I'm a marketing blogger. And then I have a bunch of pieces that kind of hold together loosely to that topic, how to do this, why you should that. Threads just launched from Meta. Here's what to know, like all those things, right? But an author goes, here's a premise that is specific and defensible. I can own it like intellectual property. I'm going to explore it deeply and from all different angles. And I'm going to have lots of stories about that. Okay, what if we approached our own platforms like that? So I touched on the premise idea, but now there's categories of stories I think you need. So the premise idea is almost like the brand story or the mission story. But then you need a personal story, which is like, Hey, Jay, tell me about yourself. How'd you get here? Okay, how do I tell my story in sort of a macro level general sense and make it not about me, but about the thing I'm there to teach others? In other words, the thing people care about, which is not just a laundry list of stuff I've done. So you need the brand story, the personal story. Uh, I have personal anecdotes, which are just smaller points or smaller moments that I'll talk about to arrive at a key lesson, like to answer a specific question. I can bring out one of these anecdotes and say, well, that's the thing about this topic, here's the lesson from that story. Um, so brand story, personal story, personal anecdotes, lead stories. These are like the opening chapter of the book or the big keynote speech, the central story, or a, a pillar podcast episode. These are about other people and they illuminate something end to end. Like here's an example of what it looks like. I'll tell you the story. But just as I had the personal story and lead story, I also need now third party anecdotes. So this is, oh, well, Brittany is a member of the kitchen. The other day, Brittany, we were, we were talking about how she keeps chickens. And then finally, the skeptic story. So I don't know how much that is. That's the brand story. That's one. Personal story, personal anecdotes, two and three. The lead stories, which are about other people. Those are kind of like the pillar stories about others. Then anecdotes about others. That's five. And the, a skeptic story, which is just, you know, I know you're not getting it, or I know you're pushing back, or I know this seems scary. You sound kind of like Bill. Let me tell you about Bill, right? Bill started skeptical too. So that's six categories of stories and to develop them, like pick the one you feel is most exciting to you, most important to you as a general category, or find one specific story and see where it slots in the, those six. And then the way you develop it is you just start to tell it everywhere. Like you can put process to it. And I have a method I use to do that, um, which I'm happy to talk about, but it's just showing the road show that story, act like a stand-up comic, take it on the road, tweet it. Put it on LinkedIn, write it in medium form, put it on your newsletter, write it in long form, put it on stages, give it out loud to friends or on podcast interviews. You basically have to run one of these stories in any of those categories through the ringer. And if you step back from this rant of mine, what you come away with is I have a premise, which is just the way I see the world and the vision I have, the change I want to inspire. And then I have all these stories supporting that premise. And now everywhere I show up, I am stronger for it in any medium, live, offline, in person, virtual, doesn't matter. I can resonate a lot deeper and a lot easier because I've done this development work. That's a freakish thing that I got to do as a job, 
but I just sort of lifted what, what I did for three years. I mean, that process could take you two months, right? Like to do that little process. I think we're all better if we do something like that. I love that you named, I think it was six of them, right? I, I love, I love that you named all six because for the general person who's maybe not a marketer, but is clearly now, as you said, a mini media company in and of themselves. The The idea of including even one story can be a little bit difficult for some of my clients, at least some of the people that I've worked with. So the idea that there are, you know, several different categories of stories that, that you can test because marketing is a test. We do need to test it out, right? That you can kind of move through this process and that it's okay for you to kind of watch some stories flop, but that it's okay for you to say, this was good, there's potential there, but I need to push and develop it a little bit further because it's not quite hitting the way I'd hoped, right? I like knowing that people who have done this professionally for three years, like you said, are encouraging others because there's so much out there that we can be doing. And I know for for many people who who maybe marketing is not their their primary you know thing, they have to market their business or their services because that's what we do online. But knowing that we can do it in a more personal way, I think takes so much of the Ugh, this is just that thing I have to do out of it when you can kind of include and pull back from the things that you do love and put it into that marketing. And you could find very narrow. I gave you six broad categories and under each category that you could have a bunch of different stories or come up with a bunch of different ideas or, or things that jump to mind or that you observe. But right down to, I just want to write the next blog post. I mean, like this applies, like thinking about opening with a metaphor from your personal life, an observed moment that helps you arrive at a lesson, makes it a lot stickier in people's brains. That helps help cement that literally uh, people have studied how, how memories of experiences form. And there's something called the primacy and recency effects or phenomena, the primacy and recency. The, in other words, the first and the last uh, moments with something really cement the memory in people's brains. So if you want people to have a favorable memory of you, open strong, close strong right? If you're writing a blog post. Well, the way you open strong is not to do the bad high school writing turn chat GPT lazy use case, which is like, everybody knows, everyone knows the importance of this thing in marketing today. Well, today we're going to discuss the six ways you can do this in your marketing if you're in the services business or, or whatever, that generic opening we're all familiar with. Instead, if you open with something that feels like the other day I was at a pizza place and believe it or not, the waiter gave me an insight that I think we all need in marketing. I couldn't believe it. Right. So that is an observed thing having seemingly nothing to do with marketing pizza. It's from my personal life. It's not groundbreaking. And it also opens a loop, which is like, how in the world is he going to land this to be relevant to me? You know, what was the groundbreaking thing? And then you continue it with a little tiny template that I like to use. So the template is this happened. I was at a pizza place and the waiter said something to me. And then the second thing is, which made me realize that's back in our world. I'm teaching you something about storytelling or marketing or whatever. And as a result, this, or so this means that, in other words, people go, so what? I like the realization. So what do I do as a result of that? So this happened. I was at a pizza place and I sat down and I started chatting with my favorite waiter about their competitor down the street. And I was like, how, how do you describe the differences between these two places? Because you're both award-winning pizza places. And he said to me something that changed my perspective on our work as, bring it back home, storytellers. He goes, well, we all have access to the same vendors, meaning like the cheese, the ingredients, the sauce, all of it. But the thing we have access to that they don't, and also that applies in reverse to us and them, 
is we each have different starter doughs. And starters, it's like the flour water mixture that you use to start making dough. So as a result, no two starters make the same dough. So we can taste different because we have this starter dough in our world, in our office, in our kitchen. And it's been fermenting over time. And we expose it to this type of light or heat or in this container. And if you were to make our dough with their starter, we'd taste more like them and vice versa. So that's what that's when I realized, wait a second, in creative work, we are kind of like the starters in our content. And we're not really starting with who we are as people, but who we are is the one thing that's defensible that no one else has access to because we all have access to the same advice content, the same technology, the same software vendors, right? Same toppings, same cheese, the same sauce. So what does this mean? Well, it means the next time you go to write a blog post, don't try to rely on some keyword research you did or AI tool you use. Don't start there. Start with what you have observed and lived because you're the starter and no two starters make the same dough. If you want to be original, start with what you actually have that's original. You, you're the starter. Okay, now I could shorten that into a couple paragraphs for the blog post opening, right? That is, by the way, one of my stories I carry with me all the time. Um, but hopefully I made the point, which is this happened. You observed a thing or experienced a thing, which made me realize here's an insight that I hope is profound and useful for our audience today. And that means, and then let, let me play it forward. How does this actually turn into action? How does this change my behavior if I'm in the audience? That little tiny template, those the three beats of a metaphor is kind of like a little sift, little sieve that you can use. You press through a moment that you've had in your life and see what pops out. It takes you five minutes and you go, hmm, does this fit? No, let me re-engineer this part or that part, you know, it's part of the drafting process, but it makes your draft more like a story than just like flat. Everybody knows this. We're going to talk about this today. Man, you really do use the kitchen metaphors. I know you said that you do, but you actually really do. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that's funny. I, you know, it's okay. So you mentioned AI earlier and um, I know that you've written and talked about it at least a little bit. Well, we all have, I guess at this point, I, um, well, listening to you talking about the dough, I thought you were going to go in a different, different direction. And I had this vision of, um, Will Ferrell in the movie Elf, you know, he, he like, he's wandering the streets and he sees, you know, one of those little like New York diners and it says world's best coffee. And he's like, you did it world's best. I thought you were going to go <laughs> in that direction with the, with the dough, you know, that they're all award-winning. Right. Um, but that sparks the whole idea in my head, right? Like AI, right. You were talking about the template. Well, yeah, these are the six ways that you can do this. You know, marketing is always like this, right? And so much of the commodity content that we're seeing out there, even before AI was introduced, but certainly it's worse since then, has that kind of, you know, remnants of that, we're all the world's best coffee owner kind of feel. And, sure. you know, everything that we're talking about with personal storytelling and giving your own unique bent and, and using the starter dough that only you have access to, it's what gives me hope that AI is not going to ruin us. And I just, I would just love to hear some of your thoughts on that before we kind of start wrapping things up. Sure. It's very simple. I have a very simple assessment of what's happening right now. I think there's an enormous bright line emerging between creative people. Uh, on one side of the line, you have people who think this job is about content. And on the other side, you have the people who really understand the job is about connection. And if you understand that the job is not to produce 10x the stuff at 10x the speed or half the cost, but the actual job is to resonate deeply with others, to help them see or do or think or change something, well, then you're, I think you're set up to be fine, be totally fine. If all you're trying to do is create generalized expertise, commodified content, yeah, you're very replaceable. 
And so you need to imbue something into that work that could only come from you, your creative fingerprints. And if you know how to do that, AI is your intern. If you don't, if you're creating stuff that anybody in your space pretty much could create, then AI might be your replacement. But even if it's not, you have to know that you're creating commodities. Now, commodities are not useless. Gold is a commodity. It's useful. Wheat, very useful, right? It's just that the source doesn't really matter until you start to tell a better story. Right. I can get that anywhere and you're anywhere. I got to pick up milk on the way home for the kids. I can get that anywhere. I don't really care where I get it. I don't really care about the brand. Right. Unless you tell a better story to me. And so when you're creating commodities, the only way to win is exhausting. You have to shout louder. You have to hype harder. You have to outspend your competition. You have to reach them before the competition reaches them because you're all offering the same thing, a commodity. Again, I can get it anywhere and you're anywhere. But the things that make you you the things that are your perspectives or your overall perspective, the personality traits you have, the quirks, again, the lived moments and personal stories, all those things. You know, no LLM is trained on that to spit it out into some tool. So what is it about you that truly does make you the starter in what you're creating? So what we're, what this means is, while this has always been true, this has now gotten urgent. We are entering this era where, again, a truth that's been around for a while is now urgent where all the things you've experienced, the fact that you're sarcastic, the fact that you have a little sister, the fact that you like the Knicks, the fact that you're very very uh, Italian and have uh, like a love of food and, and wine and bourbon, the fact that you went to Bermuda when your mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in sophomore year of high school and you had um, several long-term relationships instead of being single, it, literally everything you've ever experienced now matters and can now be used to create more original, more gripping work. Because if you wanna create things that are singular, you have to use what is singular in the equation, and that is you. You're the biggest, most differentiated variable in the equation you're running. And if you remove that, you're running the same equation that either every com com competitor is running or all these tools are running, right? So the at the end of the day, we have to remember, this is not about content, this is about connection. It's not about making more stuff, it's about making things that make a difference. That's how we get results. And that's how we also defend ourselves against being replaced. I love that. Thanks, Jay. That was awesome. I well, very clearly tell that you're passionate about it, but you very succinctly said one of the things that I've been not so succinctly saying for a long time, that it's not about content, it's about connection. And obviously content is one of the ways that we can connect, but we have to do it with more intention than what the tools out there will do by themselves. Thank you. Want to tell us a little more about Creator Kitchen? I would love for you to share it just because I've had just, it's only been a few months, but I've had such a great experience so far. That just means the world to me. Thank you for saying that. So the Creator Kitchen is a, is a membership group for people who want to become incredible storytellers and want to use that storytelling to anchor their career and grow their business and their audience or, or whatever cause. Um, and so what we found was when you care about ideas like quality and craft and creativity, and you work in fields like you're a content marketer or a content creator of any kind, we have a lot of independents in our group and most of us are freelancers or owners ourselves, so creators. When you care about ideas like that, you look at what happens on the internet, especially on social feeds, and you're disgusted and disillusioned and simply not served. By that basic stuff. And so what we wanted to do is create a, a beautiful corner of the internet where people like you and me, Brittany, can thrive on the quality of our ideas and the mastery of our craft. And so what we do is we help people essentially experience creative growth and consistent creative momentum 
together with their peers. So there's a lot of, uh, I think, junk in the world that is pulling you away from creating the work that only you can create, causing you to dilute not only the work, but your results. And what we're trying to do is say, well, what are the skills we actually have to master to do work only we can create? It's certainly not following Jay's giant blueprint for how he works. Although you do get access to my entire process behind the scenes, as you know, it's much more about personal transferable creative strengths, like personal storytelling, or we just announced our next shared focus, which is going to be branding and modeling your ideas. How do you come up with that awesome visual or acronym or, you know, the two by two framework you put on a slide or you teach to people or it anchors all of your business and projects therein? Those are the types of things, personal storytelling, you playing with tension, using tension. We're thinking about that interview skills, um, branding and modeling your idea. These are things that go with you everywhere. If you can do this, they're all the different traits of a star of an effective storyteller. So everywhere you show up, you can do the work that only you are capable of doing. So my sneaky, not so hidden agenda is I want to create irreplaceable creators, but that's not why people arrive. They're not like scared of AI. They're just hopeful that there's a higher caliber of work in them. And they might want to unleash that work alongside other people who sort of get it if you're feeling isolated or stagnant elsewhere. Perfect. Jay, thank you so much. This has been great. I'm really hoping that our audience was able to just feel better, feel not just hopeful, but like inspired to put better work out there. Thank you, Brittany. I really appreciate that. All right. I loved this conversation. You guys already heard me. I don't feel like I have a lot to add to it. I just want to reiterate, though, content is never going to be as good without connection. Or as Jay said it, it's connection over content. And that might sound a little bit funny coming from a content strategist, but it is the connection that makes the content sing. It's what makes it work for you. Do that heavy lifting in your business so you can get back to living your life. See you next week. If you found value from this episode, there are two things you can do to thank me. The first is share it with a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, you learned something from it, odds are you know somebody who needs to hear this message. I do truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you help that friend with something that they need to do, we're going to have less crappy marketers out there, which means less scams, and we get to help more people in those ways that we uniquely are meant to help them. The second thing you can do is leave a rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to the show on right now. Doing that helps me reach more people, getting, again, this same great information out there, and we all make a better, happier, effective, and ethical world as a result. Thanks so much. See you next week.